Rick apparently trusts me way too much. He's, uh, he's been coming to Revolution here and there. It's been pretty cool. He trusts me a lot, so he decided to hand me a microphone and turn me loose on front of about 1,000 people this weekend. So let's see how that works out for him. Um, I'm, I'm preaching about worship uh, this evening, and there's some things that you guys should, should know about me first. Um, I love music. I love music. I play drums here sometime in the praise band. I play drums at Revolution. And I was actually in a, in a metal band called Shook Like Dead Men for about four years. Anyone like metal in here? Three people. That's what I'm talking about. I'm beginning to think like me and Matt Rawlings are like two of the only people that like good music in this building. Um, <laughs> but like more so than I like metal. Um, as much as I love that, I really, really, really enjoy playing praise and worship music. Um, I... No doubt about it. I have broken more cymbals. I have broken more drumsticks. I have broken more drum heads playing at church than I ever did on the road playing metal music for a bunch of crazy people. Um, and that's because I just really enjoy worshiping Jesus. I'm a, I'm a huge sinner, so I worship Jesus even harder than I sin. That's, that's at least what I try to do. I love worship music a lot, but I started thinking about it. Um, have you ever considered how just absolutely nuts we look to outsiders whenever we worship? Like, consider that for a minute. Like, if someone's never been to church ever, they walk in and they see us singing. Why are they singing so loud? This guy next to he can't sing and he doesn't seem to care. Why is he just shouting? He's awful. All right? Or like, why, why are their hands up in the air? I don't get that. Uh, do they want the guy singing the song to call on him? Do they have a question? Because I don't think he's taking questions right now. Right? Or like, why are they bobbing up and down? They look like Muhammad Ali getting ready for a, a fight. I don't know if any of you guys bob. I do. Um, and I actually, I found a video uh, that kind of gives light to how crazy that we might look to some people. So they're going to check that out for you. And I know that each church has its own worship style, you know, which is cool. Some people are more expressive in worship. Some people more subtle. And it's all good. Um, I go to a church that's pretty expressive in worship. It's, um, it's a hand-raising church. That's what it is, right? That's what, you know. Anybody here go to a hand-raising church? Anybody here? Sweet. Who here does not go to a hand-raising church? Some of you are trying, you're like, I can't. I want to, Tim. I need to get some momentum. Totally cool. But hey, if you're not used to going to a hand-raising church, you want to go and join us, feel free to join us, but don't feel like you've got to join right in, okay? Start slow. we got a lot of different hand-raises that we use. We actually have names for our hand-raises. So I'm going to walk you through real quick, okay, what they are, just to let you know. Say you're at my church, music is rocking. Start slow, hands in the pockets, little elbow flap, you're fine. Very subtle, get warmed up, get your heart rate up. When you're warmed up, start with the first one. Ready, carry the TV, carry the TV. That's our first one, very subtle. Go to big screen, big screen, a little wider. Next one's my fish was this big, my fish was this big. If you're a liar, you can go out there, that's fine, don't worry about it. Jesus loves you, Grace. Next one's hold my baby, hold my baby. Got dueling light bulbs. That's our next one, dueling light bulbs. Got goalpost. Everybody knows goalpost. Throwing a heartburn. A lot of people like to do heartburn. Double heartburn, right back to goalpost. What's my favorite? Mufasa. Mufasa, that's my favorite. The circle of life. Tim, can you go higher? Yes, you can. 
You can take one hand, go a bunch of different stuff. Pointer, hatchet, schoolroom. Release the doves, give the Lord a high five, press it out. A lot of women like to wash the window, wash the window. And when you're comfortable there, go for the big three. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. There you go, there's your big three. I thought that was pretty awesome. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, so we know that we worship in song, right? We come together, we sing. That's something that Scripture commands us to do. It's something God wants us to do. He delights in our worship uh, whenever we get together and sing. But some of the questions I want to answer this evening, if worship is such a big thing, like Rick said last week whenever he, he, uh, he, he set us up for this week, he was saying, you know, the king is coming back. The king is, is, is coming to establish his kingdom fully, and it's already being established now, and we should worship him because of that. So if we're going to do that, we need to know what worship actually is, why we worship. Um, who are we supposed to worship? Which you're in church, so I guess, you know, what's, anyone know who we worship? Sunday school answer. That's what I'm talking about. I'm just trying to get some crowd participation up in here. Um, and and, and the, we ask those questions. Um, that's what we're going to be answering. What is worship? Why do we worship? Why do we sing? That's going to be one of the things we answer. This is it's going to be a good time. But the big one, is there more to worship than just singing songs for 20 minutes once a week? I think that there is, and I think that we forget that a lot of the time. So let's check out what the Bible has to say about worship and the implications of that in our life. So we're going to go to Psalm 150 and then Romans 12.1. Psalm 150 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud, clashing cymbals. That's awesome. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, so Psalm 150, we get all these instructions to praise. There's a ton in the Bible um, talking about singing, making music to Jesus. But then Romans 12:1, Paul writes this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so we are told countless times to sing. We're told countless times to worship, to give God praise. But what is worship? If we're going to do this, we need to define some stuff. So what is worship? Well, worship comes from a word that breaks down, and it means worth-ship. Um, worship means to ascribe worth to something. Real easy. Ascribe worth to something. But more than just saying, well, that's a good thing, that's, that's something that, that's valuable. But this is building your life around something that has ultimate value. Right, this is the thing in your life. Everything um, about you is centered around this one thing that you worship. Every action that you take, everything that you think is motivated by this. Now, we were created by Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus to worship Jesus. That's what we were created to do. That's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus owns us. And he commands everything in existence to worship him. That's how it's supposed to be, but you ever notice there's a difference between how things are and how they should be? We're fallen. Adam and Eve sinned and screwed everything up for all of us, and it's, uh, it's been a bad time since then. Uh, and since, since they've done that, we have been born sinners. We're inherently wicked from the day that we're born. And because of that, we don't desire to worship Jesus. 
initially at least, before we come to faith in Jesus, we don't desire to worship God. We worship garbage. Just straight up worship garbage. But we were designed to worship. So if we're not worshiping Jesus, we are going to worship something. Um, some of the garbage stuff we worship is sex. You know, like there's always that one dude who's a hound just rolling around trying to find a girl to sleep with, a different girl as often as possible. We, their women are really prone to, to just idolize a relationship. They, I want to find the one, which is a myth and a lie from hell in Hollywood. It is just terrible. There is no one out there. It doesn't work that way. It's not in the Bible. Um, but relationships get turned into this idol God that that's going to make everything okay. Um, you know, your kids... Um, you know, put everything, base all of our decisions uh, around the, the kids that you may or uh, may have. I don't have any kids, so it's kind of a weird thing for me to talk about. I don't have any kids. But I know sometimes parents will base everything that they are around whether or not their child is doing well, um, what they can do to further their child, and that's great, but that shouldn't be the focus of your entire life. It should not be the center of your life. You know, we, we, we idolize success and, and jobs and, and wanting to just climb the ladder and get paid more money so that we can get more stuff and we can become more comfortable. And that becomes the thing that we worship is our status and our job. We may worship the approval of people that I don't care what I have to do. I just want everyone to like me. And these things may be good things. These things that we build our life around. Um, they may be good things, but they are not ultimate things. Right? Like sex is a good thing. You know, I shouldn't know that. You know, I'm, I'm not... Uh, married, but I wasn't always a Christian. There's that for you. Um, I'm actually getting married next year, so I'm pretty excited for that. Sex is a really good thing. I'm pretty pumped. Um, it's okay to laugh, guys. It's okay. Think about how we make other people. That's proof that God loves you and wants you to enjoy something in life. It's beautiful. Um, you know, like relationships are good. You know, God made Eve for Adam. That is awesome. Kids are phenomenal. Um, Jobs are great. All those things are good, but they are not ultimate things. They don't deserve your entire life to be centered around them. But what we should worship is the ultimate. Right? We should worship the king. We should worship King Jesus. And why? I'll Go with me here. Even before we consider what Jesus has done for us, he still deserves our worship. Even before we even consider the fact that Jesus came and died in our place for our sin... He still deserves worship, even if he wouldn't have. There is literally nothing in creation like God. He's the creator. I mean, I can't speak things into existence. I don't know about anyone else in here, but like, I can't like, just speak something into existence. I can't sustain life. Um, the Bible teaches that Jesus holds everything in the universe together by his will. Like this stage literally stays together because Jesus wants the like atoms and molecules to stay like together to hold me up here. If he wills that not to happen anymore, I hit the ground. That's incredible. He sustains in that way. He is the ultimate cause. All good things come from God. Everything that you enjoy. He's eternal. Always has been. He's the only thing in creation that's eternal. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's the one. There is none like him in all of creation. And that's why he deserves our worship. Like, this is actually pretty cool. Um, I was looking up last night. Um, we were all hanging out in, in my kitchen, and I decided to go outside. And I looked up, and I saw the moon and, like, stars, which is fairly rare in Portsmouth to be able to see all that kind of stuff. And what was awesome is it was a full moon, and it wasn't just, like, white. It was, like, silver almost. Like sparkly, it was gorgeous. And I usually, like, I stay inside as often as possible. I'm not like a nature person. I'd rather stay inside and read. Um, but I started thinking, I was like, God is awesome. 
Like, he makes this, and he doesn't try. He just does it. And then artists spend years of their life trying to replicate what my God made without trying. Like, that's the kind of uniqueness of the God that, that we worship. So before we even take into account what Jesus has done for us, he deserves worship because there is nothing like him, and he is completely unique. We can't compare him to anything. But when we start to think about what Jesus has done, then worship and praise should just flow like a river from our mouths. It's a natural response. It should just come. Whenever we truly begin to grasp what Jesus has done for us, it should just pop out. We should desire to worship. So, you know, so why do we worship our king in song? I was just thinking of natural responses to good situation and, and, and things like that. Um, why do we worship our king in song? Because singing is a natural response to good circumstances. Think about it. Like people sing for joy, people shout for joy. Uh, go with me here. In um, chapter, I think it's two or three in Genesis, God makes Eve from Adam's side, puts him to sleep, pulls a rib out, makes Eve, um, breathes life into her. Adam wakes up, and Adam says, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, I'm going to call you woman because you come from man. And what's kind of cool is about that little thing that Adam sang or said, it's actually like written like a song. It's like Hebrew lyrics, kind of like a poem. So you could actually argue that Adam sang. So whenever you break it down, it goes, looks like something like this. Um, God makes Adam naked. And then God makes Eve, Adam's wife, naked. Um, naked man wakes up from sleep, sees naked wife, and sings a song. That is funny, and no one laughed. And that is, <laughs> come on, that's funny. It's, what, I'm 22 and ignorant, apparently. I think stuff like that is hilarious. Come on, guys, the Bible's not rated G. Let's get out of that. Right, so Adam sings. He's like, hey, I have a wife. And she was probably hot, I'm going to guess. I, I could see myself singing after I get married. I'm pretty pumped for that. Um, Adam sings whenever God gives him Eve. Moses, actually, as soon as the Israelites um, are led out of Egypt and into freedom, the first thing Moses does, you can check it in Exodus if you don't believe me, is he sits down and writes the first praise and worship song in history. It's the first thing he does. It's a natural response. You know, whenever we go to weddings, we sing because we're happy. Whenever we go to funerals and someone died in Christ, we sing because we're rejoicing for them. Whenever we go to birthdays, any kind of party, there's always music because singing is natural whenever there's joy to be had. So if singing is a natural response to joy, how much more do we have to sing about than everyone else? If we're Christians and we believe the good news of Jesus, we should just always be ready to worship our King in song. It's natural. If I believe that I was a sinner separated by God because of my sin, and I deserved hell for what I had done, I deserved hell for my rebellion, but then Jesus comes to earth and lives a sinless life, takes my sin on himself, and then goes to the cross and suffers the wrath of God as a substitute in my place, and then God raised him from the dead three days later to prove that Jesus was innocent and sin had been paid for, and that if I place my faith in that, I'm forgiven for everything I have done or ever will do. If I believe that, why would I not want to sing? There is literally, like, that is the greatest thing, that is the single greatest circumstance that you could ever be placed in in all of human history. So why would we not want to sing to Jesus? Thank you. I mean, seriously, like, consider that for a minute. So I'm here to say this, and I have to say this whenever I preach. If you, believe, if you don't believe that, that Jesus died in your place for your sin, I, I, I beg you to trust in that. 
There is no hope outside of that. We're all guilty of sin. We all deserve hell because we've all rebelled against God. And the, I don't have a prayer for anyone to say, but if you believe that, you owe God nothing for your sin because Jesus has taken it. So I, I, I implore you, trust Jesus because either you're going to pay for what you've done or Jesus did, and there is no other option. Um, so if we believe that, we should sing. Right? God delights in hearing our praise. He, he actually directly commands it 50 times in Scripture. He wants us to sing. It, it, it pleases him, and we should give him what he wants. There's nothing like him. He's the one who gets to actually dictate what we do, and then we should give him exactly what he wants because he deserves it. But the Bible says that God wants much more than 20 minutes on Saturday night, and he wants much more than 20 minutes on Sunday morning. He wants more than just us singing three or four songs to him every once in a while. That's just scratching the surface of what God requires of us. Romans 12, 1 and 2 actually says this. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus wants everything that we are. He doesn't just want you to sing. He doesn't just want your music. He wants your heart. Jesus wants us to worship him with our lives. You know, loving people, serving people, being obedient to his commands. That's what Jesus desires from us. It's a lot more than just music. He wants every action that we make to give him glory. The Bible says whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That's what Jesus wants from us. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, no matter who we're around, he wants every action that we make to glorify him and give him praise. So how do we do that? Right, that's the real question. How do we do that? Right, we, we've been commanded to worship God with our lives, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him and everything that we do. How are we going to do that? We do that by allowing the gospel to affect everything that we think and everything that we do and everything that we are. That's how. Right? We do, we, we do this by allowing our thinking to be transformed and changed by God. Right? And, I, and I used to think that preachers were full of crap um, whenever they would say that the gospel is the answer to everything. I know that sounds like even as a Christian, like I would think that. Like, okay, so if, if I'm supposed to be living a more holy, obedient life, the gospel is the answer to that? I, I, I didn't understand how that, that, would, that would work, but, but go with me here. If we truly begin to reflect on the gospel and we truly begin to think about the implications that the gospel has on us and on who we are and who God is and what Jesus has actually done, and we begin to think about it broadly and really look at our hearts through the lens of the gospel, we'll see things starting to change. Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and we're going to see our thinking start to change. So go with me here. We start to think about the gospel. The first, first bit of the gospel is that everyone deserves to go to hell, in, including me. So the first thing that I have to begin to think about is my own sinfulness and how worthless that I actually am to st again, in standing before a holy, pure God. How wretched that I actually am because of my sin. Sin isn't just making a mistake. Sin is rebellion against the king. That I essentially have given him the finger and spit in his face almost every single day of my life, that kind of rebellion. And I begin to really reflect on how worthless that makes me and how much I really deserve hell. 
And if worshiping God is serving other people, I now begin to look at other people and I think, I'm not really any better than these people. They're not really any better than me. We all deserve hell because the Bible says that everyone sinned, that no one is righteous, no, not one. And our own depravity, our own sinfulness becomes the great equalizer and we start looking at people differently. The arrogance that's in our heart begins to die. And we begin to view people differently. Our thinking begins to change. We, we begin to reflect on God's holiness and his hatred of sin. Like, go with me here. I don't think about this all the time. God hates sin so much that whenever Jesus became sin and took our sin on himself, he killed him for it. That's how much God detests sin. We begin to think about the holiness of God and how much he hates sin, and then we begin to desire to follow God's holiness standards, right? His commands um, of obedience. What I mean by holiness standard um, is, is the things that God commands us to do, the, the way that a Christian should live, living in holiness, being holy like God is holy. I'm talking about being, things like being sexually pure um, until you're married, being honest, being hardworking, not being greedy, but being charitable, being indiscriminately loving to all people that you come into contact with, things like that, the way that God expects us to live, those kinds of standards. Whenever we begin to understand how holy God is and how much he hates sin, we begin to want to kill the sin in our lives and strive for those kinds of standards, even if they're impossible to hit. And they are impossible to get right perfectly. But we start to desire that. And then we see our sin start to ebb away, or at least we get a desire to start killing our sin. And then we begin to think about God's unmerited love for us. Grace. We begin to think about God's grace and the fact that he loves us in spite of us. Right? The Bible teaches that we're hostile to God. From the moment we're born until we come to faith in Jesus, we are hostile to God. We hate God. And that we can never please him because we're so sinful. But while we were yet sinners, God sent Jesus to come and die for us. He, in spite of us, he loved us. Whenever we begin to think about that part of the gospel, our thinking towards other people start to change. Because we, 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 we begin to love people in spite of how bad they are. In spite of what they're doing. In spite of whether or not they're, they're a drug addict or they're a bad parent or they're abusive or whatever it is, we begin to love them in spite of the things that, th that they're doing because God loved us in spite of how awful and sinful that we are. And then we begin to think about how Jesus came to give his life from love and to serve us. And then whenever that really hits us, that Jesus spent his entire life serving other people, healing people, feeding people, we begin to want to imitate that. We begin to want to serve other people and love other people, even when they can't pay us back, even when they don't deserve it, because I know I didn't deserve Jesus to come and serve me. And we begin to imitate our king. And then last, this is awesome. The last bit of the good news of Jesus is that Jesus promises to return. And he promises to rid the world of pain and rid the world of suffering and injustice and oppression. And then we begin to think about that and then it really connects with us and we want to bring that kingdom now. So then we begin to get involved in our communities and in people's lives and befriend strangers. And we begin to serve them to try to end injustice, to try to end poverty, to try to end senseless death because we want Jesus' kingdom here. 
The gospel, whenever we first hear it, it hits us in our heads. And then whenever we dwell on it like that, it hits us in our hearts. And then it moves to our hands and changes what we actually do. From your head to your heart to your hands. That's where the gospel, that's the line that the gospel goes to. And then you begin to worship Jesus with what you're doing. Because it's hit you square in your heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh. And you can now begin to serve Jesus the way that he wants to. So the real question of this whole thing is, will we actually worship Jesus the way he wants us to or not? That's the real question of this whole thing. You know, singing is the easy one. Even if you can't sing, you can still sing. But true worship is going to cost us. It's going to cost us everything. True worship of Jesus is going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you some heartache sometimes. It's going to cost you pain. People are going to hurt you. It's going to cost you a lot. But the question is, are we going to love the people around us that we don't even like yet? You know, are we going to help out people that can't repay us? Are we going to help people that aren't helping themselves? Because we should. Because that's what Jesus did for us. You know, will we leave this room here this evening and stop for people that we see are in need on the side of the road? You know, are we going to start conversations and befriend strangers and, and, and get to know the people that we work with on a daily basis and all of those things so that we can point people to Jesus and what he's done for them? Are we going to do that? Or are we going to worship ourselves and do our own thing? That's the real question. And so in light of this whole Advent conspiracy, kingdom conspiracy thing, I, I want to pose this question just real quick. How are we going to worship Jesus with our time and our money? Right? Are we going to worship our king with it? You know, we can help out other people. Right? We can take the time out to help our neighbors or, or someone that we see, like, again, like people begging on the road or, or people that you know need help in your work. Are we going to take the time out to serve them that way? Um, are we going to take time out of our days to make friendships with people that we don't know yet or maybe we don't like yet, but we're told to love everybody? Are we going to take the time out to help people that we see in need? Are we going to take the money that we have that is disposable pretty much and are we going to use it for ourselves or are we going to donate it to causes that can actually use it to make people's lives easier and actually help people? And those are all good ways to worship Jesus. And we can do that with our time and our money this whole uh, Christmas season. Or we can worship ourselves with it. And we can do what we want to do with our time and our cash and all that other junk. Um, but I want you guys to know this. It's not really your stuff. <laughs> it's not really your time. It's not really your money. God, Jesus owns everything. He owns you. If you're a Christian, he owns everything. Um, so it's really not yours. So we may say that we agree with all this stuff, right? Like we run our mouths a lot as Christians. I'm just being honest. Like we never put our money where our mouth is. We just say a lot of crap that we really don't mean. You know, we might say that we, we agree with all of this. But myself included, I'm not pointing the finger here, I challenge everyone in here to prove it. You say you believe all this, you say that this is all well and good, prove it. You know, Revolution, we just finished up a sermon series in James, and it was called Prove It, because James says, be doers of the word and not just hearers. He actually says, what, like, what good is it, what kind of faith is it that says, with your mouth, I believe this, but with your actions, nothing ever changes. And that means that the gospel hasn't really hit you in the heart, and you can't really believe the gospel if it's not hit you in the heart. So I challenge us all to prove what we say because our actions dictate what we truly believe. That's a fact. 
You can say what you want, but back it up with what you do. But don't do it because I've guilted you. Don't do it because I've stood up here and ran my mouth for a half hour and maybe seemed kind of half angry. Don't do that. Do it from gratitude for Jesus. Don't do anything because I tell you to do it. Do it from gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, right? The gospel, the good news of Jesus, that I deserved hell, but that Jesus took it in my place because he loved me so much, is a great motivating tool, right? There's no longer obligation that I do this thing, like this heavy, like, command, but it's like, no, Jesus, I want to go worship you like this. This is what brings you pleasure? I got you. I'm going to go hop on that right now, right? The gospel changes our thinking from obligation to one where we actually do the things because we love Jesus, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. And if we truly believe the gospel, we should love him beyond everything. And so gratitude is what binds our heart to Jesus. Period. Like, come thou fount, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Nothing is going to bind a sinner's heart to Jesus more than gratitude for what he's done. Nothing is going to push us to want to worship him in our daily lives and kill sin in our lives and take our time and our money and all of our conversations and everything and worship Jesus with them more than gratitude. So go. Worship Jesus in every aspect of your life because you love him and because you have gratitude for the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for sending Jesus, first and foremost, to die in our place for our sin because we deserve hell. Father, I pray that that thought and your uniqueness and how great you are um, just hit us right in the jaw and and make us really uh, assess what are we doing to worship you. You Let let your word and the fact that you demand us to worship you in, in every aspect of our lives just really connect with us. And, and I pray that everyone in here, myself included, God, leave here determined to worship you more, determined to kill sin in our lives because you're holy, determined to serve other people and love other people in spite of them because you loved us and served us in spite of us. God, just help us to worship you, not just run our mouths and say that we believe these things, but to prove it by what we do. But again, Above everything, thank you for sending Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.